All right, and welcome back. Um, in today's episode, we're going to talk about eldership. We're continuing the series on what leadership within the church looks like and how you can discern whether someone should be an elder. And one of the characteristics is their responsibility is to act as the guardrails to your spiritual life. And I think churches that are healthy cultivate and qualify people who have this capability. But if you loosen this qualification, you run great risk. So let's take a look at some of the scriptures that I want to reference. There's about four here. Um, so it's Titus 1.9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict that. Now, the other ones I'll reference in the show notes and um, paraphrase them throughout the rest, but that's the core essence. It is clear that there must be some ability to hold firm to that which is truthfully the word, and, and many don't. There are elders who, who, who are qualified by the way they comport themselves, but they have no capability to instruct. And so it's actually a good way to test it is to be seeing both formal instruction, meaning they've been asked to prepare to teach, can be in a small class, it can be teaching before the larger body. Um, that's certainly part of it. But just as important is to watch and observe in smaller groups, in informal discipleship one-on-one, is there actual instruction based on sound doctrine? Because I'll give an example. There are some that really can speak very authoritatively about what they believe God wants and has nothing to do with Scripture. And this is why, you know, Second Timothy, they, they, they really do talk about instruction as careful instruction. And if you notice, when they say, what are they supposed to be able to do? Prepared in season, out of season, they are ready at all times. It is not just when there's formal preparation, you could call it in season, but it could be ad hoc. It could be a moment and a group. It could be informal, and it is correct, rebuke, and encourage. A lot of this is hard stuff. And so one of the things to tell if somebody even has the right stuff is, do they have a backbone, a observable backbone to rebuke and correct? And to do so with soundness, it's not their opinion, but it is based in scripture, but with grace and a relational strength, right? There is still supposed to be some relationship there, but, you know, in the same way that in 1 Timothy 3, 8, they are supposed to be dignified. They're not supposed to be beating down people with a, you know, a, a bully club, but they are not to be double-tongued. And I caution, there are many who can inadvertently be double-tongued out of fear of man. They may say to one person one thing, someone else another thing. They may, in a group where there's two opposing sides, simply say both sides are valid, but not be able to draw a line on instruction or a way to parse it. This is not good, but there is a secular training and it started in consulting and in MBAs, which is don't have an opinion. So here's a little career advice, but it's very bad 
spiritual advice is it's actually possible to go in your career and rather than pushing an agenda is to always gather what everybody else says and still don't make a decision but say both ideas are good and let people kind of pass it out try it yourself I've, I've tried it. it's not my nature to do this but when I consciously aware of doing this and I just let other people kind of like sort of sort it out amongst themselves and I just affirm everybody's ideas everybody's happy with me and my project looks good um, but but that is not and that works in the secular world it really is effective and if you'll see some of the people who really do rise they often do that they don't necessarily have a super strong opinion. They're very good at kind of like testing the waters and the poles. But that is not the sign of a good spiritual leader. Note from Ephesians 4.14 is that, um, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Now, here he's talking about the spiritual gifts, the fivefold, as contributing to this. But clearly... If this is part of his explanation of how the spiritual gifts make us mature, therefore a leader should exhibit those characteristics of one who is mature. You do not one who is tossed to and fro by the waves. And there are some that don't have clarity of doctrine and in fact are suspect to many of the things that have entered the church, not aware of them, and they sort of allow those to seep forth if they even have an opinion to begin with. So uh, if you are testing if somebody should be, look to see if they actually are able to instruct from Scripture, and not just in, say, a small group where they've prepared everything. Maturity means you are living always with Scripture close to your heart. And so if you're grabbing coffee, the ability to pull from it in real time, in context, is a sign of maturity. An inability to do that is a sign of immaturity. There is really no getting around that. The second one is they're a backbone, right? That there needs to be ability to rebuke and correct. That sounds hard and it may seem harsh, but A, it doesn't have to be. Correction is actually welcomed by those who are wise. And at the end of the day, correction is what God is actually wanting us to do. That fear of God is why we have wisdom. And when we have fear of the Lord, we are wise because we are aware that there are consequences. So the wise, elder, spiritually mature person guides people away from their human foolishness towards God's wisdom. And that is actually the, one of the most essential necessities. It's become more and more essential now as many false doctrines are entering the church in very subtle ways. And we'll talk about those um, in another episode. But for this one, think about guardrails. When you are evaluating them, do they have the backbone? If you are, and I hope you are, mature, been in the church for a while, test yourself. Are you developing so that you can act as a guardrail for somebody else to instruct in sound doctrine? When's the last time you've rebuked somebody? Maybe it's not someone in person. You can actually practice it by just going on YouTube and finding a false teacher. Listen to it, and in your mind, can you rebuke it? 
When, for example, you're reading a book that is kind of wayward, are you able to actually dissect it and, and explain to somebody else why it is a false teaching? So it is not about spanking somebody and punishing somebody verbally. It is about being able to preach the true word. And as 2 Timothy says, with great patience and careful instruction. And it's very easy to tell when someone doesn't have that if you spend the time around them. One of the weaknesses of most vetting processes is that there isn't any visibility or we allow it to slip if they avoid instruction and we don't ask ourselves, but I haven't heard the person teach formally and informally. I haven't seen the person take a stand. I haven't seen or heard the person rebuke. I haven't heard them articulate sound doctrine in the face of false teaching. It's almost the absence of it that allows people. It's like Supreme Court nominees. The less they say, the less they reveal about themselves, the more likely they are to be appointed. But that doesn't make sense for something like that. What you want is you want evidence and proof of sound thinking and sound teaching. So if you're vetting, especially if you are in the in, in sort of a, a new person in the church, you're in the pulpit, make sure that this is the case. If you're evaluating, have a chance to vote and elect one. If you're deciding upon a church, make sure you understand the nature of the elders. If you are on the staff and leaders, please do not let this slip. And then if you are somebody who's aspiring to be one, growing in your faith, make sure this is the firm foundation of um, doing so.